Welcome to our very first episode of In Good Company very with first. yours truly, Jeremiah Rivers. And Judah McFadden. We have a crazy guest. This honestly might be one of the most energetic, authentic people I've ever met in my entire life. I had to lie to him and tell him it was in Larchmont Village, <laughs> but we we're in Pasadena, and somehow we got him to be here. Our guest really inspired me to want to make a clothing line from his show, How to Make It in America. And even though I never did it, <laughs> <laughs> that show really got me wanting to tap into my creative side more than ever. Do you ever do it? I'm tapping into it now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to In Good Company. <laughs> Jeremiah is a wee bit tired today. Just a wee bit. Ooh, steaming. Jeremiah just got his piping hot coffee. How was it? Piping enough? Perfect. Five star? Four. <laughs> One more degree, one more. Come on. What have you not been able to get enough of? Just bought a really dope cologne that I love. And I, I really wanted to gatekeep it. Because every time I tell somebody about something I like, especially my brother Austin, because he has so much more money than I do, he can go get all of it. He'll go look at the brand. He'll buy the one I told him. And then he'll buy like the rest of the line. I put him on Tom Ford because I got a Tom Ford suit. And Austin hit me up. was like, yo, what's that suit? Next thing I know, dude's got like eight Tom Ford suits, you know, so like I, this is something I do want to gatekeep, but I'm not going to. It's a cologne I just bought at this boutique parfumery in Winter Park, Florida, where I'm from. And it's a niche cologne. So niche is like something you can't go to Neiman Marcus and get. Yeah, you're not getting at Sephora. You're not getting at Sephora. You know, a, a more boutique store will have it. And it's called Vibrato. That's good. And it's... Vibrato. Honestly, there's few people in my life where if they say it smells good, I would trust them. You are kind of like a scent sommelier, well, if there you. is one. Thank you. Like when we went to that one, what was it, Scent Bar? or Scent Bar, yeah. You picked out great ones. That was one of my five-star Scent Bar. I mean, it's that great. Was, yeah. that, but that's a place you can go get niche colognes and niche parfums, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if they carry Vibrato in there, but they carry that brand in there. Vibrato. I'm excited to smell you wearing it. It's going to be good. <laughs> Strap in, pal. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Eye roller. <laughs> what about you? What are your five stars? The other day I was I was wearing them and I was like, these are the best sunglasses I've ever worn in my entire life. You've worn them before too. My Oliver People's sunglasses. sunglasses. And you're like a sunglass guy. I'm I'm warming up to it more. I'm starting to like get comfortable wearing them. Well, you got to find your one that works for you. Yeah, like Jack Nicholson, face. bro. Yeah. Jack Nicholson has his. He warmed every Laker game, warmed all of his photo shoots, found his. My Oliver Peoples are the best sunglasses a great I've worn. You got to find that your, pair. Your shape, your that style. That shape for your face. It all has to work. And then once yeah. you locked into that, then like you're good to go. Yeah. My Oliver Peoples are the five star. If you haven't uh, tried them or worn them, they're like literally the comfiest the clarity in the lens, they're just, they're, they're timeless. It's a good five star though. Oliver Peoples. Yep. And just so you know, the only way to watch the full uncut version of this is to click the link down below for our newsletter, The Menu. That's where you'll find the full playlist curated by Jeremiah, our movies and song recommendations, as well as links to all of our five-star reviews. So click the link down below and that's The Menu. Our guest today is super, it's one of the biggest personalities ever. So what's the song for our guest today? Song for our guest today is probably really not that reflective of him. I just can't stop <laughs> listening to this song. It's called Heat Wave by Cobra Man. Never even heard of the artist. Yeah, it's a kind of indie pop funk band. 
Do you have some dope ass songs? Say it again. Heat Wave by who? The song's called Heat Wave by Cobra Man. Cobra Man. Cobra Man. It's kind of like 80s ish. It's like oh. 80s nostalgic, but like they're a new band. You guys are going to enjoy that on the playlist. What is your movie of the week? My movie of the week is a movie that you saw, and then my sister saw too, and I had to see it, and it was Iron Claw. Mm. Iron Claw with Zach Efron. Whoa, the guy has so much talent. I, f- I, I was like so excited for him after that movie. Me too. You know what I mean? Like I know yeah. he's, got, he's been through a lot and he got casted as like the, um, you know, what's the... To the Baywatch? The Baywatch, but what are the movies where you singing all the time? Like a, Oh, High School Musicals. Yeah, the mu- all the musicals he was doing. He was kind of pigeonholed him pigeonholed into like Disney is not a real actor. He is a real actor. Bro, you go watch Iron Claw... He's going to come out of there like, I didn't, you didn't even know Zach Efron could tap into that. Absolutely killed it. That Jeremy last Allen White movie, killed it. Iron Claw, incredible movie. Go see you it. have to go see it. Go it's, see Iron Claw. So good. so good. Well, speaking of movies and shows, our guest today is a producer, a writer, a director. A real mensch. A real mensch. If you love Entourage, How to Make It in America, or Ballers, you have this guy to thank for it. Rob Weiss. Here's the problem is that like I won't watch myself or listen to myself. I always had assistants do it. But then I really gotta ask myself, I gotta go, how much does this guy really want me to continue existing? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. like, you can get some person, you say some crazy shit, they're like, nah, bro, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> I thought you were excellent. They just uh, sabotage. They want to so. see you burn. You never Falling know. Out bro. Your assistant listen, paychecks you know, late. I watch Godfather Saturday, you know. It's like your enemies come at you in very strange ways. Yes, they do. Have you seen the the newer cut of the third one? No, out, like, I, you year? know what's so crazy? I've never seen Godfather Three. I never seen. I've seen I Godfall. I've seen Godfather One and Two a trillion times. Yeah. Don't watch. Don't watch the old cut. Yeah, I don't like. I don't want to see those characters that way. It was. It felt very. Um, I don't know. It just didn't feel historic. Like the first two, you know, having seen them probably in my twenties. Felt like I was seeing a piece of history, you know, and then when three came out, it felt like it was a piece of business. And how much longer did three come out than one and two? Oh man, it's got to be 20, yeah, 25 years. years. And he, I don't know, it just felt like I, I was just like, I didn't want to ruin the experience of the first two for myself. Yeah. But if you do watch the third one, if you ever do, don't watch the old one because they apparently they didn't let Coppola release what he wanted to, and then. What is it? Thirty years later, they Coppola released the one he wanted to release back then, and it's so much better for three. For three. Oh, so like maybe. like two years ago, Coppola was like, you know what? I'm gonna release the Godfather three I wanted to release that the studio at the time wouldn't let him. And it's oh, I'll, so I'll much watch better. that version. You know, it's, it's funny. So much better. Sometimes guys get really indulgent, and they're like, oh, they're releasing the director's cut. And you watch it and you go like, nah, the executive cut was better. You yeah. Know what I mean, it was tighter. I bet they do that with a lot of movies. Even like classic Dumb and Dumber, which I love. Yeah. You can't, you have like a window to recapture that energy. Like right. you have a three, four year window to, to follow up with the sequel. And if you don't, you try tapping back into those characters 25 years later, it's over, man. You can't do it. Like I wedding Crashers. I can't. Not I, redoing that now. No. Which? Like Wedding, wedding Crashers. Crashers. They're like, talking about be doing the second one. You it'd can't do weird. Wedding Crashers again. Yeah, I agree, man. Things age out. When you take a 20-year gap, like trying to co- go back and like recapture that magic you had. Right. You, yeah. you said it ages well, out. That's crazy. Like, you just yeah, can't man. do it. Like, I don't want to see like a lot of these guys older. You know? <laughs> no, right. It's even like people like talk to me about, this thing's going, right? We're yeah. moving yeah, on. Yeah, we're just moving. Yeah, yeah, we're good. People always talk to me about like an entourage reboot, and I'm like, this nah. guy's like 50 fucking years old now, man. Yeah, I mean, nah, not nah. not just the fact that 
you know, the business has changed, the town has changed, and by that I mean culture. Oh, could you make it again? Well, that's the question, right? You go like, you're not making it the way we made it the first time. I mean, these guys aren't saying half the shit they said the first time. You know, they said some pretty out there stuff, you know? But whenever whenever I think about that or whenever somebody says, well, you know, the things they said, misogynistic, or they were, you know, the way they objectified women, I'm like, yo, that was Barack Obama's favorite show. Right. Barack Obama <laughs> was on 60 motherfucking minutes. Yeah. Talking about, like, yeah, me and Michelle, Sunday nights, I'm watching Entourage, and I'm thinking about some of the dialogue we had in that yeah. show, and him laughing, and his wife's looking at him, like, what the fuck are you Me and I, me and Michelle, we throw it on the television, and I uh, love Johnny Drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big fans. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, look, it, it, it was, for the time, I think it was a really good reflection. I think, like, in a lot of ways, it's still true to what the town is, you know? It's just not true to... The way the culture is, you know, well, we've talked so about much that of that too. has changed just by the the very nature of having cell phones and social media and the way information is shared. Back then, it was like we didn't have any of that shit. Also, we talked like, about how the, the Hollywood has changed just in general with yeah, that. Like uh, yeah. it used to be the place where rock stars would go and Hollywood was like fun. It's yeah. not really that way anymore. We got like yeah, TikTokers. Like, yeah, real movie stars. Got, yeah. yeah, you know, movie stars like Tom Cruise, the last yeah. real one. That's why. I mean, I get so pumped going to Tom Cruise movie yeah. because they don't make them like they don't have yeah. those anymore. Yeah. It's kind of there's it, it it's it's kind of fucking nuts, but there's some great shit about it. Yeah. And some really bad shit about it. I think the 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 great shit is the accessibility and the lack of gatekeepers needed needed. And the whole DIY aspect of creativity where you can kind of make stuff. And find your audience if there's an appetite for the content you're creating. I respect that. I did that. I went and made an indie movie in New York when people weren't even doing that shit. Not to blow myself, but I did, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I just did it on a- on Talking a about amongst friends. Yeah, yeah. But I did it yeah. on a grander scale than a 10-second viral clip thing. But not on a grander scale in viewership, right? So I respect it because I love the hustle- and I love that people could do it. What's bad about it, and maybe also kind of good in a way, is it really did destroy what was the image or illusion, if, if you will, of fame. And, and like that aspiration to, you know, be the lead in movies, it still exists, but it's all feels so blurred now. Yeah. And you look at actors, and you go, holy shit, they got like, I mean, there's actors I'm I'm in talks with for projects that I think are superstars, potential, you know, down the road Oscar winners, and that their their like social followings are substantially smaller than girls that I know at Equinox. You know, <laughs> see, that's that's one of the things that bugs me. <laughs> crazy, that is crazy. That bugs yeah. me with the acting thing because. To be, to, to, to be told, I think I will win my Oscar someday. But a lot of the auditions and shit I get, I see the movie. I'm like, oh, I auditioned for that. I'm like, oh, who got who got that? Guy has 500,000 followers and no talent. So but, that that's, but that's different. You see that? So that part of it, that part of it, by the way, if those followers are real and the whole thing is not just some trumped up, you know. No, the, but, but that that started, that started a long time ago. That actually started with Twitter. And I think it really was a big network television 
guest star marketing play because my ex-girlfriend who I live with was would be up for co-stars, guest stars, and they would go with the person with the higher social numbers because they know that person's going to go out there and be like, yeah, check me out on CSI tonight or whatever the show was at the time, you know? So they want, they just want the hype, right? Like if you play with the numbers on your socials, you know, they're not going to do like a full investigation. Like you'll wind up getting more roles. Yeah, beef your shit up, bro. Than the other people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just go true. buy some. Yeah. Well, I think because like you, you said before, would you say you went? You went to Meisner, Stella, Stella Adler. Adler, right? Yeah. Well, right. So you're a purist, you know? Somebody got into your mind and body and soul and they turned you into an artist, you know? And, and it's a business. In a lot of ways, unfortunately, look, I'm still a purist. Like, I, I, I'm working on this MMA thing with Skydance. I have a co-writer, young co-writer that we co-created together. His name's Cassius Cargan. Doing an amazing job, brilliant guy. And we're now really wrapping up the draft that we're getting ready to hand in. And I was explaining to him about, like, on this final stage, having done Entourage Bowlers, How to Make an America, and knowing that, like, we want to push these things forward, the further into the stages you get of writing the scripts, the more myopic you have to be. You have to look at every fucking line and, and look at it from every direction. What do they mean? And what are your options? You know, and where, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, can becomes, you take this out and it still moves forward. But it's just, everything becomes so detail-oriented the further into it you get. And that that's that's artistry, man. And that there's, a, there's a purity to it also, you know, like of like trying to keep the integrity of the scene, the integrity of the characters, and also look at it in a super analytic way, right? So you're using both sides of your brain. It's like, unfortunately, most of these guys you're dealing with now, you know, in the world, that they're not really using any of the brain. It's just a lot of hype, man. Well, it's funny. I auditioned for so many bad things. I was like, I'm just going to start writing my own shit. Yeah. So now I have two movies I'm making this year that I was like- it's great, man. You read so many bad ones, you're like, oh, just make my own. Bro, that's, listen, that at the end of the day, man, that's the hustle. The hustle is you do what you can do on your own. But the, the reality is, is how much energy do you have to try to get somebody else to co-sign the future you want to have? That is exhausting, right? Yeah, and in exhausting. television, which is the, you know, the format I want to do the most for multiple reasons, it is the hardest because... I need permission every step of the way. Mm. I don't own a network, platform, streamer. I don't have any friends who have one. It'd be great if we all had one, right? I guess TikTok, right? But yeah. I want to do things on a grander scale, meaning budgetary-wise. I, I want to have bigger scale, you know, more scaled-up shoots. And it's like I constantly have to go through the system. If I only wanted to make independent movies, I don't have to go through the system, right? All I need is money, right? That money buys me the talent, you know, or the best talent I could get. How know? did you make uh, Amongst Friends? How did you bootstrap that? That was purely the universe and the cosmos aligning to, you know, at the risk of sounding super hippie, dippy, flowery, you know? But it really was. The further I get away from it, the more I realize there's, there's no reason that movie should have come together. We're talking 1991, nobody was making movies. Like, it's not like that. The minute you said, I'm making a movie and I'm shooting at 35 millimeter, people go, shut the fuck up. Like, it was like, 
it was an unbelievable thing. And I was inspired by like John Singleton and Boys in the Hood and been in film school at Parsons. I, I had some issue at Parsons and I left. And you got I like a like, fight, disagreement or like? Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was like we did some <laughs> tech shoot and it just kind of went haywire. <laughs> they made me be like an actor and the girl who was directing is like, okay, well, he owes you money and you're collecting the money. And this is the scene. And I'm like, oh, I could do that. And I didn't like the guy. Like, the guy had made me feel bad on multiple occasions. He was like an older guy. And on the tech shoots, everybody has to do every job. You rotate around the room. So I was like a camera assistant on this guy, older guy's shoot. And then we had to do this scene. And I don't know, like, I just, the, the only prop on the table was like a phone. So I kind of lightly took the phone cord. And put it behind him, like, yo, you're going to give me the money. He's like, I'm calling your boss. And I'm like, well, I'm a choky man. Right? <laughs> like, but, I, but I took it light, man. And I just kind of put it behind me. He's like, don't you fucking touch me. Right? And then, like, he threw something. And I kicked the desk to get to him. My teacher's like, you save your violence for the streets. You're out. Like, you know, And I mean? you got kicked out yeah, for that? Yeah, well, I got booted out of his class. I mean, they didn't throw me out of school. It wasn't like, it was partial school design, man. It wasn't like fucking brown you know what i mean they'd have like a whole disciplinary board i mean that fucking school was crazy anyway this is like the end of the 80s like in the art scene you know what i mean it's a pretty wild new bunch york of people yeah man so like man. prime is like hip-hop's yeah, you know, on like its fucking, way you're like you're, you're in a design class then you go down washington square park and blow some rails then head back you know <laughs> not me but i'm just saying that was like the tone of the school was fucking bananas man I feel like you that's know, how so, Hollywood used to be too. Fun and like the, I mean the it was cool. Listen, Hollywood. I loved New York in the eighties was the fucking bomb. So anyway, I was like, all right, I'm gonna make a short film and I'm gonna just gonna, you know, create this calling card for myself and get it out there. Oddly what happens, we we had snuck into a premiere in New York for this movie, State of Grace, which I love, man. And it was directed by this guy, Phil Juanu. And it's Sean Penn and Robin Wright and Gary Oldman and Ed Harris. I, if you guys have never seen this. It's it. actually hard to find. It's fucking awesome. It's the Irish mob in Hell's Kitchen. But but it it was back in like 1990 or whenever it came out. Fucking genius, right? So we snuck into the premiere. The actor kid I was with was like all over Sean Penn driving him crazy. He's like, hey, bro, I mean, bro, you gotta understand we're only like 20 years old, 21 years old or whatever it is. He's like, hey, bro, you got to let me be your protege. And Sean Penn's like, bro, I got enough problems, man. Like, that's what he said to him. He looked at the kid. He goes, bro, I got enough problems in my life, dude. I, I do not need a protege, right? So, and I met Phil Juanu, the director. And Phil had also made a movie, Three O'Clock High. And I was like, bro, I want to come work for you. I want to be a PA. I want to learn this, that. And, he, and I was like, you know, I go to this film school. I just got thrown out of Right? And he's like, he's like, call my assistant, right? And he, gi he gives me a number. And I called the girl and I talked to her and he was getting ready to make this movie final analysis. And I said, look, I want to come work for Phil. Phil said I could possibly do this. And she said, we're shooting in San Francisco and we don't have a budget to bring you out. And I was like, well, yeah, maybe I'll pay. She's like, she's like well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to direct. And she was like, well, why don't you just do what Phil did and direct something? Like, that's how you're going to become a director. Like, you're not coming here being a PA, it's not. So I was like, all right, cool, okay, yeah. So I sat down, and I like, on a typewriter, started to write a short film about, like, these kids from my area, which was kind of authentic. I mean, obviously, the movie, if you see it, 
And it's on Amazon Prime now, so you can watch it. But, like, if you see the movie, it's clearly, like, hyperbole. Like, kids aren't randomly just killing each other back in, like, an affluent neighborhood. But they were fucking dying. So it not maybe not the way I shaded it, but it was happening, which was bananas. But a lot of, like, drugs, de- drug deals, weird shit was going on in, in that period. But um, I sat down and started to write this short, and, like, it just kept going and going and going. Before I knew it, I had, like, this 130-page script. And, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go make this movie, you know? And, like, the one, the one way I've been able to explain how I was able to make the movie was by only saying I was too stupid to believe I couldn't make the movie, you know what I mean? I was so naive that I was like, I could do this. And because I was that naive, you did. shit just came together. Yeah, like had mm-hmm. I known how insurmountable it really was, I had no money. My dad raised me like 40 grand from like a bunch of gamblers like that were like half street guys, wise guys. Like, you know, you're gonna blow like three grand this weekend on games. Just blow it on my kid's movie project, right? And we'll shut them up forever, That's right? So sick. <laughs> like, right? So all these gangsters are throwing in money. All these guys are like, oh, you go, here you go, here. you need three grand, there's three grand for you. Right. And then like like some of my friends, I remember we we were out there shooting, man, and I ran out of money. We didn't have film and, and my buddy Mike Rappaport, not the actor, a different Mike Rapp from New York was like called me up, like, Hey bro, didn't you say you needed money for your movie? He was like, I got five grand for you. I goes, like, holy shit, I just ran out of film. I'm sending somebody to get the five grand right now. You know what I mean? And like things would just come together and we were able to shoot for a week or so. I'm like 22, I think, right? 23, 23. And there was the IFP in New York, which is like the AFM here. It's the independent film project. And it was, I think it's kind of like where you go and you do sales, shit like that printed up these flyers, Metropolitan, which was this movie, which Stillman made, meets Goodfellas, come see, you know, footage, right? Dailies. And they were just spreading it out to everybody. And this guy who I had actually read all about in Premiere Magazine, all these different things, this guy, John Pearson, who was an indie legend, showed up to look at the dailies. And he's like, I want to meet the director, right? And Pearson had found like Spike Lee, he helped Spike raise the money, I believe, for She's Gotta Have It. He sold the Coen Brothers' first movie. He sold Richard Linklater's first movie. He sold Roger and Me for Michael Moore, Kevin Smith, Clerks. Like, he's just, but Clerks, he did the year after me. So he was kind of like, that was like a big deal. And I went out to dinner with him and the two producers. And he was like, look, I think you're going to be a household name. I have $5 million. I'm allowed to put in half a million dollars into 10 projects. And I'm going to do your project. So he gave me 350 grand to finish my movie. Whoa. Got into Sundance. And I came out of Sundance. And it was, for me, me, at that time, meteoric success, right? Which was another whole fucking thing. Because my brain went sideways. All of a sudden, I had a three-picture deal at Universal. I'm in a bungalow, Redford's old bungalow on the lot. I got a deal at TriStar. I got a famous girlfriend. I'm living in like like a mansion in the hills with her, <laughs> you know, in her fucking mansion, by the way, not mine, you know, and like. You just, went from and, almost strangling somebody at Parsons to. Yeah, and I was living in my, at that time, I was living in my dad's house with my dad and my stepmom. Like I was like. You know, I was like, or, or like a washed-up club promoter at like twenty-one. You know, now you're living like, the life. 
Yeah, I was out, but I was like freaked out. You know, I'm getting shot by Annie Leibovitz and Bruce Weber, and I'm the subject of a New York Times Sunday Arts and Leisure fucking profile. <laughs> and people like, and but like, my brain was so crazy that if 99 people said, "Yo, you're the bomb. You're the second coming." And one person said, you're a fraud. I believe the one person said I was a fraud. Because I just didn't have any foundation for the good fortune that had come my way. Now, all these years later, having gone to therapy, being older and wiser, I know that I was fucking talented. You know what I mean? Mm. But I know it now. When I was a kid, I'd be like, maybe I suck. Maybe it'll never happen again. And I walked myself out of shit. Or talk myself out of it because I was scared. The older you get, you know, the less the less fear you have of failure because failure is inevitable, man. Yeah. Everybody fucking fails, you yeah, know? You and that is the great disservice. That is the great disservice that the people around me and myself, I didn't know that at the time, but people I think that were closest to me should have been like, bro, Everybody fails a second time. Go fail. So anyway, I kind of like my, my shit got all fucked up and then Entourage brought me back. But Wait, so yeah, how did Entourage come into play? After after Amongst Friends, I had a green light on a movie. It took me like two, three years to get it ready, right? And it was called Milk Bar. And it's it's I, I should actually make it. Me and Steve Levinson joke about it because despite the fact it was written about the 80s in the mid-90s, it would fucking crush now because it's basically about a bunch of guys running a nightclub like these Long Island guys in New York. But it turns into just like chaos with mob guys and it's comedy and it's just funny, man. So I was getting ready to make that and I was trying to cast it and and Savoy wound up going out of business. So, and at the time I was pay or play, right? Which means like, even if you don't go to work, they're going to pay you. So they laced me up with a lot of money for a 26 year old. I think they gave me like, like $850,000 or something, you know what I mean? So I was like, and the OJ trial was starting. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to kick back and watch this shit for like a year <laughs> or two, you know, and and live off this money these guys gave me in the famous girl's house, you know, in the kitchen in a big <laughs> armchair. Um, the famous girl, Shannon Doherty, by the way. I mean, I can say I love Shannon. We're friends. So, yeah, I kind of like just let a few years go by because, you know, I was cashed up and I was kind of freaked out and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I started doing this Iceberg Slim adaptation of the book Pimp for Mark Berg and Island and Quincy Jones. And, and ironically, I've now been attached to that project for 20 some odd years. I own the book. Like decades later, I bought the book with some investors' money. And we're actually putting another iteration of that project together again with Kristen Verlinden writing and directing and Jamie Foxx and the Foxhole and Datari producing alongside me. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. But that then took a couple of years. So somehow I was hot for like four years after I made that movie. And then like, it, it wasn't like I warmed up. It was like, I went from like hot to like, he must be a heroin addict, like cold. Like it was like, it was like, it was so extreme. There wasn't even like a middle zone. Like, well, maybe we'll work with him. Maybe we won't. But I felt like I was out of the game. And then it became like a real grind for like a good four years of like, just like maybe I'd sell a TV show. Maybe somebody would hire me. But I was like, I felt like I was going down and down in terms of the currency to be able to do something, you know, to get something made. 
And then Doug Ellen, who I had actually gone to high school with for a year, who had always been around when I was making Amongst Friends. He'd come to casting. And when I had my bungalow, I let him use it to, to cast one of his projects out of. So we were always around each other. And then he got that going and he invited me to be on it. But I kind of, I passed on it a couple times, you know, and then I was like broken, heavily in debt. And my girlfriend, a different girlfriend, not the, the actress girlfriend, it was long gone. And, you know, well, this girl was an actress too. So <laughs> fucking shocking. You know what I mean? So she really wanted me to do it. And like, I just like, uh, I had had like a bad experience working with some friends on something else. And I just felt like I don't want to go to work with people I know. And, you know, and then she just convinced me to call my agent after like the second, third time I passed on it. Doug was like, all righty, good luck to you out there. And I was like, thanks, man. You know? I'll actually, I'll tell you something really funny. Like, he supposedly I said to him, like, the first time he called, he said, yo, we're going to need writers. I want you to come sit with me, Lev, and Larry Charles. Larry was, like, basically who they brought in to supervise Doug in season one. Larry's a fucking genius. Did Seinfeld, Curb, directed Borat. He's a fucking maniac, but he's a genius. Come meet with me, Lev, Larry, watch the pilot, right? I'm like, all right, I'll come in this week. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm never going there. I don't want to do this, right? Calls me again. He's like, yo, you coming in? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just a little busy. I'm writing some, I'll come in this week. I'm like, I'm not going in there. I don't want to put myself through this, you know? Doug starts asking people, he's like, what the fuck? Like, like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, honestly, does he have money that, like, somebody doesn't know about? Like, how's this guy surviving about me, you know? And then, you know, he called me and I was like, look, bro, I just, I just want to get back to Sundance, man. I just want to go make another indie movie and be back at Sundance. At this point, it's got to be like fucking 10 years since Amongst Friends, like 10 years, the decades gone by. And he's like, all righty, man, like, I wish you luck, this and that. And I was like, all right. And I go out to the living room and my, my girlfriend's like all sullen, you know, like, why don't you just ask Leslie Maskin? Leslie was my agent that... UTA and I was like, she's like, just ask her, just ask her. And I, I called her. I'm like, Leslie, you know the show Entourage? She's like, yeah, she got picked up by HBO. I go, this guy, they, they potentially want me to come on and be a writer on it, but I said no. You know, I don't, I don't really want to do it. And she's like, she basically was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? She's like, what are you stupid? She's like, you have no career, motherfucker. You're ice cold. If you do this show, I'll get you movies. You'll get movies again. She's like, I just made a deal for Alan Taylor coming off Sex in the City to go make a feature. And I'm like, you did? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, I I I'll call you back. I call, I, I literally, this, bro, this is all true shit. But I've told this story before on other shit. And I think I've told this on DVDs with Wahlberg interviewing us. And so I called Doug back and I'm like, all right, I'm in. This is like five minutes after he, we just had this beautiful partying thing with like, I wish you the best of luck. He's like, what? I go, yeah, I just spoke to my agent. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm down, you know, I'll come in, blah, 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 blah. So now I go in, I'm watching the pilot and Lev's like, you know, Steve Levinson is like one of my closest friends in the world. He's like throwing up. But at the time he wasn't, you know, he's just Mark's manager partner and he was Doug's manager. Now he's been my manager too. I mean, sort of, you know, I guess, but, but he's one of the closest people in my life. And he's like throwing hard balls at me. And I'm just like, all right, bro, look, I'm here. You know what I mean? Let's not like try to get me to not be here. The money's in my pocket. Stop pulling it out. I don't remember like where my head was at. So anyway, Larry was Larry and Larry was dope. And he was just like, Doug, whatever you want. Then ironically, HBO decides they don't want me. So now this is hysterical. So now I'm all gung ho. I want, I want this fucking show. 
Yeah. I want to get paid. I want to get back into the business. And HBO goes, no, we don't want them. They think I'm too dark because of Amongst Friends. Doug's like, Amongst Friends has some of the funniest shit ever in it. You need to go watch it. Rob's the funniest guy I know. So they say they'll meet with me, right? So now I'm kind of like fucking panicked. You know, I'm going in to meet with like these HBO executives, which is a network I have mad respect for. I think at this time I'm watching Sopranos and my girlfriend's watching Sex in the City and it's pretty clear they're very cinematic. It was very sophisticated for TV, and I had always yeah. grown up watching TV and, and been a fan of television from Taxi to Miami Vice, and, like, I just, you know, fucking loved Boat when I was a kid. So, like, I, I was down to do TV. So anyway, like, I'm like, before I go to the meeting, and I'm nervous about it, I tell Doug I wrote up a whole list of things that I think would be cool on the show, and he's like, what? And I go... You know, and I'm like, you know, the guys go on a white water rafting trip like Deliverance. The guys go to the Playboy Mansion, which I pitched. And I said, you know, and I had a whole list of that. And I go, Turtle wants to be a samurai. He's like, what do you mean? I go, he's got like samurai <laughs> stuff in his room, like like Quentin Tarantino kind of up. And he's like, look, bro, just I told him you're hysterical. All you have to do is just go in there and be cool. That's it. So I go, yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, I'm fucking tripping. My girlfriend drives me to this meeting. I go up in the HBO Tower at the time they were in Century City, like on the 600th floor of a building, you know what I mean? You're like, and I'm up in there. I'm like scared of heights. I'm like in a chair like this. And and Sarah comes in and, and she's with Jada Miranda, who would later become like a really great collaborator and work with us on How to Make an America. But both women, in all honesty, had their arms crossed and they just look at me like, Hi. You know, and I'm like, oh, they're, they're fucking miserable. They, they don't want to. I'm like, they don't want me here. Like, they, they really don't want me here. And they're like, so do you have any ideas for the show? And I go, well, actually, I do. And I have like a whole list of them, right? So I pull out this piece of paper that I'd read to Doug the night before. <laughs> and I start going down the, the list of things. They're like, oh, great, great. Thank you so much. I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, thanks for having me. Okay. Bye-bye, right? That night, phone rings. And it's Doug and Lev. And like, they, I thought they were giggling, which was a really bad misinterpretation of the call, right? But basically like, I'm like, yo, what's up? What's up? And they're like, Turtle wants to be a samurai. Tur what are you fucking stupid? Turtle wants to be a samurai? I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, we, and Lev's like, yo, we almost had you the fucking job. Why did you have to go in there with the ideas? Doug's like, I told you not to tell them ideas. I told you not to give oh, them the wow. ideas. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. So now I'm like fighting for this job that like five days before I didn't even want. And Lev's like, you need to go write two scenes for the show right now. And I go, they want to read two scenes. He goes, no, I do. Cause I think you're a fucking moron. <laughs> so, so, so I go and I go fucking write out these two. And now I'm like sitting there. It's like fucking two in the morning. I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually auditioning for this shit now. You know, this is sick as, what a turn of event, you know? So, so I go and I write these scenes and I actually write a scene where the guys go to the, they go to not Chateau, they go to um, Sunset Marquee and it's dead. And they're like, drama throw like, yo, why is it dead in here? And like, Eric's like, because it's Yom Kippur. And drama's like, oh, is that when they wear the little beanies on their head? Like, it's just a fucking hysterical scene. And then, like, they run into, like, one of the guys from, like, Puddle of Mud, and they bring him to, like, a bungalow, and they, he gives Vince a gun. Like, this whole, like... But it was great. The shit was dope. And then they read it and loved it, and they were like, all right, we're getting you on the show. We're getting you on the show. And then they had this meeting with Carolyn Strauss. 
After all this strife, they went in. Carolyn's like, we'd like you to hire these two cousins to come work. Doug's like, great. I want Rob Weiss. She's like, sure, you could have them. And it was done. And I went to work on the show, right? And I was like, in all honesty, I thought I thought the show was going to be horrendous, even while working on it. <laughs> really? They were like, do you want to play the role of Billy Walsh, Rob Weiss, who hasn't directed a movie in a decade, hires Vince? I go, I don't want to be on the show. Like, I thought it was just, I was like, who's going to like this? And then, like, it blew up. And are, everybody are you liked Billy it. Walsh? Well, like, they, they were like, that was like the thing because I was so precious, you know? And like, I had an opportunity at like a really solid career at a young age. And like, and I just, you know, I was like, no, 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 I'll never be able to make anything as good as my imagination. Now, obviously, I go, listen, just make whatever you fucking make and buy some real estate and call it a day if you have to. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would be my advice to my younger self. You know, yeah. like, what are you, crazy? Get into the market now. Go make three action movies, like, and reinvent yourself five years later. Nobody's going to give a shit. So you thought Entourage was going to be shit. I didn't think, I, did, I was like, who's going to like this? Like, who's going to want to watch this? Man, and everybody guy. was fucking freaking, man. <laughs> it's like the ultimate Bro, I brotherhood. I swear to God, like, I was at this place, Spider Room, with my girlfriend at the time. And she was like, this, this, it had just started airing. And she goes, the show is going to change your life. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's going to change your life. I'm like, no, it's not. And then I felt the tap on my back. It was a guy who, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to be a dick. But it's a guy who's ridiculously plugged in. Very wealthy guy, very high-level Hollywood guy, very high-level music guy. He was a guy I knew during my Amongst Friends days. He would have walked past me 99.9% of 100% of the times between Amongst Friends and this. And all of a sudden, I get a tap on my shoulder. He's like, bro, congrats on the show. It's great. And then I, I turned back to him. I was like, yeah, yeah you might be right, actually. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, if guys like this are coming over to say what's up, you, you, yeah. you might be right. You know, the show's going to take off. So... I get a call from Paramount. They basically want to talk to me about doing a movie with Usher, right? So now I go over there and I get to room and it's literally like me and five women. And again, I'm really anxious. And, and I forgot who the main exec was, but she looks at me and she goes, she's like, Rob, baby, you don't have to pitch anything today. Today we're pitching you. She's like, we want you to come do a movie, this, this, and that. And I was like, oh, hell Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I was like, all right, yeah. I'm back, motherfucker. <laughs> so then I called my agent, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm obviously not going back to Entourage. I'm like, I did a season. We're going to go make movies. And again, she's like, what are you fucking stupid? She's like, when you catch a wave in TV, you don't get off the wave. You ride the wave. So, and that's what I did. And I mean, I'm grateful that I did it, but it, you know. It was like an eight-year kind of thing. And then, you know, we had a little, we went into How to Make it in America, then a brief hiatus, and I worked on a Hell's Angel movie, and then I went into Ballers for another five years. So, you know, last four years have been like, you know, the catch-up time of inactivity, at least within producing, but obviously I'm developing like crazy. Was these character on Entourage based off of a real person? Well, I think it was I know like Ari an amalgam, was. you know, so... yeah. Mark has Steve Levinson as a business manager, but Eric Weinstein was like his day-to-day -day life manager, meaning when Mark goes on location, Eric goes, you know, and would organize stuff like that. So I think the, you know, it was kind of like amalgam of the two of them. Well, I mean, I, I know the reason Doug wanted me to be, a, like, first off, Doug, he looked at me and he was like, Rob's, Rob would be an asset telling a story about guys because amongst friends was about friendship and it was very real 
for the way guys were with each other and the way they spoke to each other. And I think that's what the expectation was that I would bring to the table for this. But I had also had this incredible Hollywood experience, right? And Doug would say, he would be like, Rob came out to Hollywood and he was Vince and now he's drama, right? So it was like, <laughs> I had actually experienced both sides of that coin, you know, which is crazy, but I did. And, and you know, there were definitely a lot of, um, you know, things that I contributed to the show. And since I was the sole contributor to Amongst Friends, there's obviously going to be some kind of, you know, and we actually took Amongst Friends and made that Five Towns on Entourage. Is and that what that is? Yeah, drama mm. on Five Towns on Entourage does the same speech I did in Amongst Friends. <laughs> the one where line by line. Yeah, he's walking and talking. Walk I give line. that same speech in Amongst Friends, so... Like we did they a lot of fun there, shit. They got him over there. Yeah, yeah. So that was my speech and uh, shit. I would. I used to write entourage in this place, Bourgeois Pig in Hollywood, because my, I lived in a little treehouse. I had my girlfriend three. Bourgeois dogs Pig there. is what changed my life in LA. Right. So I used to sit there, bro, in the back cave thing, yeah. or right up front, writing like drama and turtle dialogue, and I couldn't write without like basically saying it. So I'd be sitting there, be like, yeah, bro, you know, like, like I'm just doing it. People just like looking at me, you know what I mean? And I'm acting out the scenes as I'm doing it, but it became so fucking natural just because I'd done it so many times, you know? Did and, you write the nunchucks and the fried boots line? Because that's one of my favorite lines in Entourage. Maybe. What was what that? Are you what are you going to do with nunchucks? Drama goes, I want to conceal them in my fried boots. <laughs> well, I think that movie, The Day Trippers, had just come out and I just watched it, so... The day fuckers. I don't remember. It was like, I don't remember the episode. The I know episode. Vince hooks up with some actress, but I think Turtle. They have a bet about yeah, drama. Isn't lit. it like yeah, Shayna Mokla? Like Shayna Mokla is like, yeah. You'll fit the suit, go get the suit or something. Pick it up from this dry cleaner and then bring it, show up at my house. Yeah, oh, yeah, and then so. drama puts it yeah. on. Right. Drama's like, if I'm going to lose this bet, I'm at least going to have some sex. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's right yeah, on drama. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I was, who could get laid? It was drama or it was uh, Turtle or E first. And then E, like, gets with, I think, Sloan that episode. And they and then... Drama goes in and bangs the girl in the bunny outfit. It's <laughs> a great episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's such a good one. Man. <laughs> I think, um, what was the other one I fucking loved? I wrote it during the strike, like the writer's strike. I didn't hand it in, though. And we weren't supposed to even be writing, but it was the O strike, the strike in 07 or something. And I wrote that Sweet 16 episode. <laughs> where they like, yeah. hey, Vince. I yeah. always loved Fabulous Baker Boys, and that song was like a big song. The I Love You Baby song, the Frankie Valley song. So I put that in there and uh and like drama puking on the cake yeah, in that's the end. My favorite. It's so good. Oh, it's so fucking hysterical. <laughs> there's a, there's a few lines in Entourage that have like cemented it. And like I have four older sisters. Yeah. Two of them love Entourage, but we're in Joshua Tree and my sister who did not watch Entourage, yeah, we're leaving and she goes, The tree has spoken. And I was like, you don't even know what that's yeah, from. Yeah. That's when they're leaving. And who's, who in Entourage says that? I think it's What's drama. What's that, the shroom episode yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, Tree Trippers. And they yeah. go, the tree is, it's drama goes, the tree is spoken. I think most people assume that the show is like about Mark Wahlberg and his like cronies. And his well, I think homies. that was the jumping off point, right? Yeah. So, you know, the idea was like, they were all hanging out and they had said to Lev, I believe, like, yo, we should do a reality show about this crew. And Lev's like, yo, we should do it scripted. And they called Ari. 
And Ari's like, I'm calling HBO, right? And then Lev was repping Doug, and Doug had actually just written some samples for Curb, and, he, and Lev liked what, what he had read. So they looped Doug in, they took and sold it to HBO, and they spent a couple of years developing it. But, you know, I think there's a lot of business stuff drawn from Mark because of Lev, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Lev's like, you know, intimately involved in, in those dealings. But there was also stuff drawn from Leo and yeah. Colin Farrell, just and like just yeah. just everything that was going on in the town at the time, yeah. you know. That so, show had more the best cameos out of any show ever. Yeah, you know, everybody we did cameos with, like we really worked with them to create the kind of experience they wanted. You know what I mean? There's no expectation that. You, somebody's gonna come in and do a cameo and you're, you're stuffing words in their mouth like even Saget Saget's thing was like wild man God God rest his soul you know he he wanted to do it I think me and Doug wrote his cameo and he came in to the office he's like guys what is this he's like I don't want to be fucking Danny Tanner cause we wrote it like, like full he house. was like the nerdy neighbor yeah, yeah. And he's like, I want to be like a hoe chasing fucking da da da, -da. <laughs> like totally different than the way you look at Bob Saget, you mm. know. So we did that. It was hysterical, and he goes, "Yeah, he crushed it." Obviously, he's like, "I only got two house accounts." When he's like at the yeah. brothel thing, he's like, "I got two house accounts." Accounts here in Nate Nows, you know, yeah. like he had the best shit. And the crazy thing is, I watched the episode with the girl I was living with, the actress girl from Montreal, and she was devastated, devastated. <laughs> like she was young at the time; she was early twenties, probably at that time, early to mid twenties. She was like, "I'm like, what's wrong with you?" She's like. Like, she didn't really grow up with a dad, you know? She, like, her dad kind of left the house, and it was her and her brother and the mother. She's like, I didn't really have a dad. And, like, Danny Tanner was, like, my father figure that I grew up watching. <laughs> and to see him like this is devastating to me. Yeah. Did people yeah, ask to be on? Yeah. Because you guys like, are getting you guys hot. Had a port, you guys had, yeah. like, Con Kanye's Tom on a plane. Tom Brady, Kanye. Yeah, like, like it's no, we had some sick people. Like, it's funny, the Tom Brady one, I think, like, the Manning brothers was supposed to be playing golf in that scene and they flaked the day before and then somehow Mark's like, I'll jump in and I'll call Tom. But yeah, people wanted to be on. That you know, works it's so like, well with the turtle because turtle's yeah. a Giants fan. Yeah. You, yeah. Hate, you hate the Patriots. It worked perfectly. Yeah. That no, was it so was good. I mean, people wanted to be on the show, and it was fun for people to be on the show. The show is probably the biggest, it's the ultimate like bros, bro, guys, guys show. Yeah, and as it's going yeah. on, was your life just were you just going like this? Was everything for you, or or was it like more money, more problems? I mean, I got to be honest, bro. Like I didn't like people always ask like, man, was it like fun? And, and I try to explain to people that the you, you didn't even know because mm. there was no social media, so there was like it was no Instagram, so it wasn't like people like putting up clips. So there's tons of entourage shit on TikTok now. People send it to me all the time. Yeah. There was nothing back then. You didn't know who was watching. They'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, three million people watching. You're like, oh, all right, where are they? I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't like people are stopping me on the streets going, hey, bro, you yeah. right? Like, they don't know right. who the fuck I am. You know what I mean? right. So it was like, like, you know, our lives were good. We were clearly successful. We were nominated for six Golden Globes across six years, three best comedies for Emmys and 
countless Writers Guild Awards and PGA Awards and DGA. We were always at like some <clears throat> function or something. So it was clearly like we were doing a good job. I was definitely back in the game. An opportunity right. was there pretty yeah. much to do what I want to do. But I was signing like multiple, you know, overalls with HBO as contracts were ending. And then I got How to Make in America going while Entourage was going. So now I'm sitting there with two shows with my name on it, right? But I was still living in the same treehouse that I was in when I was broke and in debt. And I was still with the same girl. And like after we were done writing, I would go to the gym and then go home. I wouldn't go to set. Like people are like, oh, how crazy are those party scenes? I'm like, I never went to them. I just didn't. Was there any scenes that you wrote that were true stories from your own life? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of shit. There's so many fucking little things. In season two, Steve Levinson and I wrote a Sundance episode, which right. people love, man. It's people one of the people's Sundance fans. Right, so what's so funny is Lev at that time, I think he wrote a little bit on one episode in season one, but me and him locked up in my office to write together, and we basically wrote a whole episode, and he's like, no, 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 it's shit. And I felt like it's kind of funny because... Like, the dynamics are interesting, right? When you're working with friends and, like, Doug's stressed out and, like, sometimes, like, it could get a little toxic and stressful. And But I knew if I wrote with Lev, Doug really couldn't give me any shit because Lev hired Doug, you know what I mean? So I think in a weird way, like, I felt like we were freer in this in this dynamic to create. So we wrote this script. And then near the end, I think Lev panicked, and he was like, no, 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 it doesn't work, it doesn't work, we gotta throw this away, we gotta start again. So we do this, we rewrite the whole script, give it to Doug, Doug's like, yeah, but I understand, why would this happen, why would that happen? And he's like, oh, oh, well, we did do those in the first script. Hold on, don't, don't finish reading, right? So we take the script back, then give him the first one we write, and he's like, yo, this thing's fucking sick. So, like, it was actually the first instincts were the better instincts, right? So... I would say that was that, and it was funny too, because even back then, Harvey Weinstein was such a powerful figure in the town that Doug was like, well, well, I mean, we can't really do this with Harvey Weinstein, man. I mean, are you fucking serious? Like, we'll be dead or something. And I was like, <laughs> and I guess Mark and Harvey, and I don't know that I should be saying this, it might be out there already. I think Mark and Harvey had had their own issue. Like, Mark and Lev and Harvey were not tight. That bathroom scene and, is so And wild. what happened with me, this guy, John Pearson, funded my movie, right? We didn't get on in the end either. And he wrote a book called Spike, Mike, Slackers, and Dykes. And he spent 35 pages, writes this book. I'm a chapter called Rob Weiss, Amongst Jerks, The Dark Side of Overnight <laughs> Success. That's the chapter about me. And the guy shreds me for like 35 no pages, way. right? So I call my agents and I'm like, I'm suing this guy. And they're like, you can't sue. He's like, you'll never work again. I go, what are you talking about? They go, it's published by Miramax. That's Harvey Weinstein. You'll never work again. So I secretly hated Harvey too. Because I was like, yo, this fucking guy, let somebody fucking publish some bullshit shit. Like, that's like, it was just all lies and bullshit, right? So when the opportunity came up at Sundance to do it, and to hit back a little bit, I fucking went. I was like, fuck yeah. And Lev, <laughs> you know, Lev representing Team Lev and Mark, we're like, fuck yeah, right? So we did it. Um... You know, and I think that, you know, and obviously we changed the name a little bit, but what was great is we went to Sundance to shoot and we were standing outside the Egyptian in season two and there's all these people standing around 
watching watching a shoot, you know, at the festival. And Doug looks at me and he's like, remember what you said when I invited you on the show? And I was like, what? He goes, that you wanted to get back to Sundance. And he goes, well, you're back at Sundance. And I was like, I looked cool. around and there's all these people like smiling like, because they're digging the fucking show we're making. And I'm like, yeah, this is the way I should be at Sundance. <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah, man, I'm okay with this, you know? But I, I love what we did. The character development on that show was so good. Like, where, like, it's funny. I really like Vince in the first seasons, and then towards the middle, like, drama just steals the well, show. I feel like, well, me. I feel like Arya became the, more of the sole focus as the seasons went on. It was Vince and E, at least in the beginning, and then to Turtles arc, drama's arc, but I don't know if anybody was expecting Piven to crush Arya the way he crushed it. Well, that's the thing is, like, you know, I, I think Doug did. He wanted Piven from day one, mm. he, and he always knew Jeremy. He was the only guy who could really do that. At least, you know, the way he envisioned it, Doug. But HBO definitely did not see that. I grew up loving How to Make it in America. It was my fucking show. Yeah. And I think me, like probably everybody else who watched like, why didn't season, like, why weren't there more seasons? Like, what happened? Like, I loved it. Well, was I mean, too, there, like, were, nuanced, there, there like, was what? a lot of shit that transpired behind the scenes okay. on how to make it in America. So it was like, there were a lot of personality issues and there were a lot of fucking personalities on it. I remember being so frustrated. You know, I developed that show with Ian Edelman and Ian and I were not an organic team. Like, mm. you know, we had, we had not worked together. But the main ingredient that the show was missing when I got involved was an overall arc like arcing drive an engine and at that time you know it was 09 we were in the housing crisis you know money was drying up and and the question of whether or not people could get rich anymore and the american dream still being alive the american dream you know was a viable question so that's what mm. that's how we reconceived it and sold it back to Karen strauss and she was like laying to that so i wrote the pilot with ian and then it just became like a lot of issues, man. Yeah. It became a lot of issues over what stories we were telling, how we were telling them. You know, I led us through season one. And then after season one, you know, Ian really wanted to run the show. He, you know, he created the show. It was based on his creation. I never tried to take stay claim to that. And Mike Lombardo, who was running HBO Time, said, yo, we're going to let Ian run it. You know, and, and I was like, all right. And he was like, it'll sink or swim with him. And I was like, hmm. cool. And I just took my money and chilled the fuck out. And Damn. the show landed where it landed. Yeah, so, but I'm proud of what I did on it. I took it from concept to to pilot, pilot to season one pickup, season one pickup to season two pickup. And then I stepped off. Now, I got a little small cult Not to make people, this all man. about me, but I am the guest on the podcast. So. <laughs> no, it's you know a great show. You show. do want to, I guess you want to hear me. You could have Ian on and ask him his fucking size Was story. that the same with, with the ballers? How'd you get that off the ground? Like, how do you get that? That rock? was Lev. Like, that's not even me. Levinson. And he'll, he'll fucking deny this. He said, oh, yeah, when you and Ian would be fighting in the room, like, I'd be so inspired. I would go write ballers in my office. And I'm like, I hate your fucking guts. You know? <laughs> But if I said that, he said that right now, I never said that. So maybe I misheard him. But no, Steve came to me one day. He goes, yo, I want you to read a script of this young writer. And I read it and it was ballers. But I had to read it in front of him. He's like, what do you think? I go, yo, I think he's a good writer. He swears that I said he's good. He's like a young me, right? So he's like, yo, I think I'm going to get this show made. We're going to get this show made. What well, meaning him. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. 
And then I heard from somebody like, oh, did you read Lev's pilot that he wrote? And I called him. I'm like, bro, did you write that for both of you? He's like, yeah, I just didn't want to tell you because I want to get an honest read out of you and an opinion. And I'm like, all right. So Mark had worked with Dwayne and said, yo, you should get with my guy Lev. He's got, he's got something great. And I think HBO wanted Pete Berg to do the pilot. But even prior to the pilot, Lev was like, and at that time after how to make it, I'm like, I ain't show one and shit. Like that. And I had been working on this Hells Angel movie for Fox. And he's like, I know you have the time. Do you want to come in? And they were going to pay me like some great amount of money. Or maybe it was a 10-week gig. I can't even remember. But it was a good amount of money. And I was like, all right, I'll come in and do it. And we wound up figuring out like season one of Ballers, the four of us, in like a couple weeks. Like just figuring out what season one was. And then HBO was like, well, look, you could take a, you know, consulting producer credit. And you and the money you just made, or you could stay on board as an EP and get paid your fees. And uh, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm gonna hang out for a minute over here with you guys. You know? <laughs> and The Rock was already attached? Yeah, The Rock was on, and then Peeper got on to direct the pilot. And yeah, that, I, that was, I'll be honest, that was my favorite show to work on. Out of the three balls, my to be honest, show. like just because I come from a sports background, doing a sports show is very yeah. difficult. Especially if you're showing sports, if you're, which, yeah. which you guys didn't do a lot of, which was smart. Well, no, we were between seasons. We were in the off season. The show was always set in the yeah. off season. Yeah, which is, yeah. Is, is, which is the best because yeah. most, because like, in parallel, stars had a show about basketball and they're showing all these basketball scenes. I'm like, these motherfuckers can play basketball. Stop yeah. showing yeah. it. Like, you yeah. got to have real basketball players. I'm going to have the fights know? on the MMA show, yeah. but the seasons will be about the buildups, you know? But I feel like I could choreograph those pretty fucking good. You can. You know There's some I mean? sports where you you just either well, can football, do it or you can't. Football's a little more complicated. Yeah, you know football's I mean? complicated. Basketball's extremely. People, yeah. You can tell if someone has a terrible jump shot. Yeah. You yeah. know, if they're dribbling the ball all goofy. like. Well, that's like work. even back in the day with like Basketball Diaries, which yeah. my friend made. Like yeah. Everybody would just give shit to the actors that were in a mock ball, but there were other guys in it that you they were like, nah, they, they can't play yeah, That's why Adam Sandler did a good job on Hustle. It's definitely the like the best sports show. That's been made. Yeah. So like, no, winning, I, winning I loved it done. because winning I had the most complete experience on it. Meaning, like I, I wrote a lot of them, I directed, I exec produced. I felt more a greater connection to the work itself. You know, when I think about ballers, I think about John David Washington and yeah, like awesome. that, and his career and like what he's doing yeah. now. He's doing yeah. Nolan movies. Yeah. He just did he, Spike Lee. I mean, my dude's yeah. dude's a superstar now. I just did Creator, yeah. which I enjoyed. I'm like, good for him. And you were. Yeah. I mean, you are a part of someone trying to find his way, you know, not trying to use his dad's name and yeah. be a Nepo baby and all yeah. these things. And now yeah, he's not like that. No, at he's all, no, man. no, he's not. Yeah. He's not. But he was trying to avoid it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And you guys brought out. He's funny, man, him. because like, I just remember, again, it's, listen, it's already like four or five years ago, that show. I remember like talk to him about the scenes I'm directing and giving notes. And he just, you know, he's kind of just look at you and go, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. And then, like, you're like, oh, maybe he's got him. Maybe he's got him. <laughs> but he's like, you know, that whole cast was fucking dope. But oh, I remember right. just being there, fucking watching scenes and directing, like, Dwayne and Rob Corddry and Russell Brand in scenes. Like, you can think whatever you want about Russell Brand. But at the time, I was like, look at him. Like, this guy's fucking cool as shit, you know, with his, his ability to just, like, move around with dialogue. Yeah. 
And Dwayne and The Rock's uh, partner in that movie, the agent, his name yeah, was Rob Corddry. Like, but I'm so watching these funny. three guys yeah, in awesome. scenes, Rob and you're just awesome. like, so I'm watching, going like, this is fucking dope, man. Yeah, you maybe knew. I'm like self indulgent. I'm just drinking the Kool Aid, but but I loved it. It changed The Rock's career because right after Ballers, he was like big movies. The Rock had a few things going on at the same time, and Ballers was one of them. And he yeah. caught he caught crazy crazy that was nuts. win, man. Now yeah, we just didn't have him that long. Like he only had a four year deal. I think he was only interested in doing four years on a show. Yeah. And then he gave us a fifth year to end the show properly. He was a great dude. I love working with that guy. You know, he's like. People's champ. Yeah, he's, he's a fucking, he's, he's really the fucking dude you see. You yeah, know he's real, I mean? yeah, he's with it. I mean, like, he's never, there was never anything weird. I remember, like. Remember that Vin Diesel, like, Tyrese beef with him? They was talking, like, mad shit about The Rock. I'm like, yeah. The Rock seemed like he's. He gonna keep it a hundred with you, like if you whether well, you like yeah, it or not. No, he's he's solid cap, but yeah. I mean everybody's got their process, right? And everybody functions the way they function. Like you know, I think they were bitching about DJ's schedule versus their schedule, yeah. or yeah, you know, he was like when he was a bowler, he was juggling fucking fifty other things. Nice. You know what I mean? It's like. So, you know, if you got to sit around and, you know, be on DJ time a little bit more, that's just the name of the game, you know? As a director, so. do you feel like you have to m manage those egos and personalities the best you can? There was really none of that, bro, on Ballers. I swear to God, like, I, I would fucking put everybody on blast. I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. there was really, there was none of it. Like, everybody was dope. Like. I'm trying to think. I don't think there was ever anything weird. I mean, even when I tell stories about Dwayne, I'm like, we. I had this shot at this concert hall I wanted to do at CSUN, and uh, and it was good. Dwayne was coming down this long spiral staircase, and it had this great cathedral kind of ceiling, and he was coming down. I was like shooting him low angle all the way down, and he's like, uh, how many steps? And I'm like, no, you go down the whole thing. And he's like, I'm not going down this whole thing. And I go, like, why not? And he's like, look at the steps. And I look, and the steps are like this. And he's like, look at my feet. And his feet are like that. And I go, oh, all right, yeah, man. I go, yo, we're going we're gonna to take five minutes to figure out how to restage this, reblock it, and how I'm going to shoot it, you know? But he was like, he's just fucking cool, man. He was a cool dude, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got a dip, bro. It's fucking, dude, this is like a four-hour thing, man. It's, like, <laughs> it's not even a podcast. It's a limited series. Hey, I want to thank you like, guys whoa. for having me, man. Oh, I was looking you, for yeah, a reason to go to Pasadena and drag my friends. <laughs> this was fun, man. Yeah, thank you so much for coming in. This was really fun. I appreciate it.